The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Merrymark Medical, Gimpy Foam and Rubber and NICAD Earth Moving. My guest today is the man long considered one of the most talented of his time and the nice guy of Brisbane Radio, John Knox. When he finally stepped away from full-time work behind the microphone and hung up the headsets, he left behind a legacy of an inspirational media portfolio and also played a part in the launching of a generation of radio and television personalities. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's Over the Bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? John Knox, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. 49 years in radio. At this stage, if I'm still on the Rafinja radio, uh, but it's a little bit longer than that. It was 1957, August of that year that I started at 2RG at Griffith. Tell us about those days, back in the early days of, well, the halcyon days of radio. Well, I guess they they were the end of the halcyon days of radio because television had just started to come in. Uh, in uh, Melbourne and Sydney in 1956, uh, 59 in, in Brisbane. And uh, uh, although, you know, I'm talking about New South Wales at this stage because that's where I started. Uh, we still had um, radio um, shows, Jack Davey show, Bob Dyer. Uh, a lot of people would never have heard of those names. A lot of the serials as well, oh, Dad and Dave. That's what I uh, should have brought here to show you. Uh, Dad and Dave, um, uh, When a Girl Marries and all these things, Search for the Golden Boomerang, they were all on large discs about that size, 16 inches. And uh, you had to have a large turntable to play them on and all studios had them. Um, the, uh, they'd last for about 12 and a half minutes and it gave you a, uh, enough time to put in commercials to bring it up to the quarter hour. And, uh, and that was that. Uh, it was a, uh, it's a wonderful time because you'd, I think it was Stan Freeberg, he pushed the radio barrow in, a, in the States and also here. Um, he, he loved radio. Uh, he referred to radio as the theatre of the mind, and it, it certainly is. Or as Kevin Goldsby said, the mindless. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a name. Kevin is still going. Really? Yeah, I don't know whether he's uh, active, but as far as I can remember, he was uh, still going strong, perhaps less strong than he used to, like all of us, um, only about 12 months ago. A tremendous voice. And uh, I can remember when I started off in the business, my mentor at 2RG said, if you can sound like that guy you'll never be short of uh, a job in the broadcasting business. And I started to study what he did with his voice. And I'm shocked to say that these days, in in 2021, especially radio news readers, they don't do anything with their voices. The majority of them don't. There are exceptions, of course. Um, but they they seem to be journalists first. <laughs> if that. 
Um, that's a dirty word. Uh, you don't need to be a journalist to work in a newsroom. You just need to have a brain. And uh, if you've got that and a, and a nose for news, then uh, you're halfway there. But um, so many newsreaders these days, to me, sound as though it's just words off a piece of paper. I can get that just by picking up the paper. Um, I need someone to tell me the news, explain the news, and use the voices that they've been given with to uh, to get into your cerebellum, if you like, uh, because they uh, they just don't do it. Uh, in in my day, back when I was a boy, all that stuff that bores people to tears. We were already radio announcers. We played records, we read commercials, we sold commercials, we sold the idea of somebody going into somebody's shop uh, to buy something. We'd create the, the floor traffic in the shop, as it were, and it'd be up to the shopkeeper to complete a sale if there was going to be one. But um, we, yeah, from there we graduated. Those of us who wanted to go to news did so. We'd already been given the uh, gift of, uh, of communication the understanding of what you can do with your voice. I mean, how many people do you know that um, talk in a very narrow um, speech, uh, not pattern, um, boundaries, if you like, when they've got a very deep, they can go right down low and then uh, they can go right up high. But a lot of people don't have what you have. Uh, hang on a sec. There have been some... It's not It's not the voice that you have. It's what you do with your voice. That, that That's it. I mean, you know that yourself. You, the, the, you've read news. You've read news with me in a couple of stations. And uh, uh, you wouldn't have been on the air if it hadn't been for the fact that you knew how to communicate and use your voice. It's... Um, you, sometimes you need to uh, to inflect. I'd need a bullet in front of me to uh, <laughs> to demonstrate what I'm talking about. But if you want to emphasise a point, you need to express yourself in a particular way. Well, it's knowing what word to highlight in pre-reading, and uh, you know, being able to, uh, as you say, communicate rather than just read the words on the paper. Yeah, it's it's not words off a piece of paper. It's it's um, what I used to teach uh, my uh, apprentice broadcasters, if you like, was, especially with news reading, to say to yourself before you go on and read the news, this is interesting. It's also important. I think you'll find it interesting. <laughs> I know what it's all about. And now I'm going to tell you. But do uh, people waste when they're reading it, do they spend an hour preparing it and then just throw it away? Oh, yes, they do. So many of them do. And that's what um, irks me. Um, and probably a whole lot of other former broadcasters who who watch and listen. Um, the use of the English language is another one. Uh, so many of them have never been taught how to correctly use the English language. Uh, they talk about a lot of the, uh, the news readers, not all of them, I mean, I'm, I'm generalising here, uh, refer to a place called Australia. Now, I don't know where Australia is. 
I know where Australia is. Uh, in fact, I live there. Or Australia. Oh, yes, that's, that's one of my pet hates. Well, I don't like I don't like Australia. Uh, uh, it's Australia. Yeah. There's an L in there. You've got to pronounce the L. You don't have to highlight it. You just pronounce it. Put it there. It's it's not meant to be highlighted. Another one, the use of the definite and indefinite articles of speech. Uh, you don't say, well, they do. Um, <laughs> the. <laughs> The police officer, the police officer, and it should be just the police. Um, uh, the police, the police, arrested a man on his way to a shop. Uh, <laughs> those words are never meant to be emphasised. Do they understand what they're reading? Then, do you think that there's just that disconnect? Probably. Yeah, that's that's a fair way of putting it. Uh, you, you, were, the, the shot is to attach the letter A as an A onto the next word. Instead of a man, it's a man. So if it's, it, the word is A-M-A-N. That's how you spell a man. I went to the shop to buy uh, a loaf of bread. Not I went to the shop to buy a loaf of bread. Is that the difference, though, between communicating and someone just reading the words? Oh, cripes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Is there not enough education these days do you think to teach people how to communicate in the media in general i think so i think you've, you've nailed it there uh, my wife won't let me listen to the radio when we're driving the car together because <laughs> because um, i'll hear somebody say something especially reading news but even in commercials and i'll yell at the radio where did you learn to speak english did your teacher know how to speak English properly? Is it not a uh, an evolution that you're tending not to move with the times? Yes. Back in the day, radio, we were spinning uh, records and, and you were doing sort of, as you say, the, uh, the large ones. But these days it's push of a button, it's computerised. Yes, but I don't think, they, I don't think the technology um, should be affecting the way um, broadcasters speak. No, I can't see the reason for that at all. Uh, if you listen to the radio today and then cast your mind back to, all right, let's go to the day I started, August the 7th, uh, 1957. The same thing was coming out of the radio. Music, uh, time calls, commercials, the announcer announcing the records, or back announcing them, which I prefer, and... Uh, it's the same today on a music station, on a uh, talk station, slightly different situation, but it's still people talking to people. Sure, the equipment's different. The standard of microphones has moved on, improved out of sight. Tremendously. It, it's still basically the same sound um, or the same output from the little thing that you've got in the corner of your room called a radio. That's if you've got any, and so many people don't even have them these days. I've got about 40 at my place, <laughs> and some of them actually work. <laughs> uh, what came out of the radio in 1957 or 1937 is much the same as comes out of the radio today. It's just that the programming has changed, the technology has changed, but you don't notice the difference that the technology has been able to uh, produce. 
What happened that first day when you walked into 2RG in Griffith and you had great expectations? What happened on that first day and in those early days of radio? Oh, scared stiff. <laughs> um, I walked in there, there's a bloke on the air sitting at the desk. You can see his feet underneath you. Um, and he had his feet in a dish of water. It was the middle of summer. And as if you know, west of the ranges and eastern Australia, it gets very hot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, no air conditioning, nothing like that. And not even a fan because the fan blows the air around. and Makes a noise. Makes a noise. And particularly in those days when we were using ribbon microphones, it wasn't a good idea at all because the ribbon had rattled backwards and forwards. Um, but that was that was the beginning. Uh, my first shift, I can't even remember what it was, but uh, I, I remember I hadn't been there that long and I found myself doing breakfast radio. Uh, breakfast radio means getting up at uh, before the sun is up, obviously. In those days, we used to go on the air at six officially, and uh, we'd go from there. But to know whether we were on the air or not, I just did not have the smarts. I didn't have the technical expertise to believe what the needles were telling me on the <laughs> on the link to the transmitter. It was an AWA setup, and to get the radio station on the air, you press a, a key switch down. And with a telephone dial, you'd dial 02604. And that would fire up the transmitter. It had come on the air and you were in business. I didn't understand that that was definitely going to work. So rather than get caught, <laughs> I brought a portable radio, a small portable radio in, tuned it onto the station's frequency spot on the dial and open the microphone and if the microphone went squeak I knew that we were on the air just straight feedback from microphone to radio receiver we're on the air okay I can fly how did you enjoy it when you were doing those things you would you you were generally a, you were generally a stational rounder in those days oh yes what was the bit that really floated your boat playing music that I liked Talking about, not, not so much talking about, but um, talking to people or back announcing announcing um, records that I, music that I liked. Did you get much notoriety in those days of people recognise you, recognising you and going, hey John, heard you on the radio, sounded great? You did, but you didn't get quite that those words. <laughs> what you, what would <laughs> What would happen, you'd be walking down the street and you'd see someone on the other side pointing and they were saying to each other, there's the new radio announcer, he's very good or... We don't like him. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like him or whatever. Uh, I can remember one thing that I did that I tell a story against myself. We were in, my mentor and his wife and myself, had gone to Leeton for the day. We were in the entrance area of this place and they happened to be a sponsor of the radio station. Um, the word sponsor these days is usually associated with uh, um, community, community radio. radio, but 
a sponsor is the is what a uh, um, an advertiser was. He was virtually sponsoring the program because he was paying money. So uh, I started to do a commercial that I knew that this this particular business had on our radio station. Um, but I did it within hearing of somebody in the street just nearby. And I did it so that they could hear me saying that. In other words, I was blowing my own trumpet. <laughs> and um, Brian, uh, my mentor, Brian Stoneman, fantastic guy, he, uh, when, they, they, when they had left, he said, if I ever hear you do what you just did again, I will, um, well, I don't know, he didn't say what he was going to do, but he gave me to understand that he did not appreciate me blowing my own trumpet. And that's fair enough. Um, they say that you've arrived in radio when you can listen to yourself on the air uh, out of a, a pre-recorded program and listen to yourself and turn it off. You don't have to listen to yourself. But that's, you know, we're getting into uh, oh, a different era, area, area of, uh, of human existence there. Um, what did your mentor teach you? He taught me to communi- communicate with people, talk to people. He taught me a degree of humility. Only recently, a, a guy called Jeff Marshall, who was, uh, I call him my grandfather in radio, Jeff was working at 2RG, and he left, had the most fantastic voice you've ever heard in your life. And that's you saying it. Oh, that's me saying that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jeff, he used to communicate with people so well. Um, He left 2RG, he was replaced by a guy called Ian Davidson, and I replaced Ian. So Ian's my father in radio, Jeff Marshall's my grandfather in radio. Um, if you'd like to use that analogy. And Jeff was such a self-effacing sort of fella. He, uh, he never pushed his own barrow at all. He never tried to get into recorded commercials or what is called voiceovers these days. And most people haven't got the faintest idea why they're called voiceovers. Why are they called voiceovers? Because it, it started when television arrived. If you were doing a recorded commercial, it would be used, uh, when it got to the television station, it'd be voice over film or voice over tape or voice over whatever. You've got the vision, as you know, and it has to be supported, in many cases, by voice. And so it became voice over film, voice over tape. And I think that's about all it was the only two things. But uh, that's how voiceovers became known as voiceovers. Nothing else, nothing else at all. Um, Anyway, Jeff didn't push himself to become a a recorded commercial expert of of Kevin Goldsby. He could have been. He just didn't, he didn't have that, that spark, that drive. He just didn't need to. He didn't want to. What he wanted to do was simply be on the air, communicating with people and doing a program. And he did them so well. Um, he didn't say, here is so-and-so playing so-and-so and so-and-so. He'd quite often use a, a different way of speaking. He'd try to involve the listener. Um, I remember hearing him say, what, I can't think of it. He said, 
Don't you like the use of piano in this typical show band arrangement of Vincent Newman's T for Two by Andre Kostelanitz? And let the record go. So he's saying, don't you like what I'm going to play? Don't you like what is happening in this record? And uh, you'd automatically say, yes, I do, or no, I don't, or what the hell is he talking about? But it in that it, that sort of thing involved the listener. Part of the theatre that you were talking about. Part of the theatre, exactly. So from 2RG, you moved on? I came up to, uh, I returned to Brisbane, where I grew up, and uh, was working at 4BH. How did you get into 4BH in the first place? Because these days, to get into Capital City is the pinnacle for a lot of people and you've gone from 2RG to Brisbane Radio. How did it all happen? I used to listen to, to, to 4BH a lot. I got to know the way they did things and I sent a tape, not a, not a cassette tape, but a, a reel-to-reel tape of my work to Alan Brandt, who was the program manager. I think they call them content directors these days. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's a fair enough word, but program is the same thing. He was the program manager. He sent me back a letter saying, um, Dear John, we don't have any partic- any suitable vacancies at the present time. Um, ah, you got a Dear John letter. Got a Dear John letter. And uh, uh, should a suitable vacancy occur, we will be interested in quickly contacting you. And I thought, yeah, those words have a bit of meaning. He, maybe he will. Um, these days, when you make an application for a job, you're lucky to get an answer. Um, Why is that? Oh, people in 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 business these days, a lot of them. This, but again, this is generalising. Um, they don't they don't care. I mean, this is the bloke we want to employ. I'll send him a letter and get him in. But they forget the the manners, the good manners, the decency of living. Uh, to write to the other to say something like, unfortunately, your application was unsuccessful this time. I could have just about wore paper to wall with all my uh, knockbacks back in the day. <laughs> well, at least they gave, sent you a knockback. <laughs> These days you don't get it, so the wall, the wall would be unpapered. Because I remember back in the day, uh, I never seemed to apply for a job and get them. I'd, it was word of mouth. It was someone you knew. It's right place in the right time. When were you in the right place at the right time? Uh, at 4BH, I was doing a, I was doing a ringer request, which was a obviously a request program that you rang up for, and it was the biggest in Australia at the time. They'd ring up, within seconds the record they wanted would be on the air. Uh, these days the same thing happens, but in a f- much quicker, well, a, much, a technologically perfect way. Um, in those days, a, a, a request would be made, a slip of paper would go into the record library, and they would find through the uh, um, alphabetical system where that record was, bring it into me, and uh, I'd play it and say hello to Mrs. Bloggs of wherever. A lot less stress these days. Collectively, there was no, there was well, there was stress then from the, for the record library people, but not for me. <laughs> oh, I yeah. just got the record, played the thing on the air, and that was it. So you say then you were in the right place at the right time. Okay. 
There was a bloke who was working for us at 4BH doing nights, and he was called uh, Leighton Rollins. And he was going to work at 4LM Mount Isa. And he thought I would be excellent as a assistant manager to IC at 4LG Longreach, which was the other station in that network at the time. He approached me and uh, made the suggestion that I think about going out to work at 4LG Longreach in the middle of nowhere. Well, not nowhere, middle of Queensland. Queensland's not nowhere. Um, it was the middle of nowhere. But a hell of a long way from any, anywhere. And uh, I thought to myself, here I am on a top-rated program in the middle of this capital city. And this guy wants me to go out and work as a 2IC at a bush station, uh, which, which has a, an audience of five people. <laughs> I was so wrong. It had a big, big audience. It covered more than a third of the state's total area. Uh, admittedly, there were a lot of people in that area, but there were definitely people from places from, down from Charleville, which had its own radio station, right up to uh, Cloncurry. Um, and there were certain overlaps, of course, but it covered a very big part of Queensland and uh, was a very well thought of station. At the time, I didn't care, I didn't want to go there. He said, will you come and meet Frank Moore? Frank Moore was the managing director of this uh, Central Queensland Broadcasting Network, 4LM and 4LG, later on to embrace 4IP at Ipswich, just on the outskirts of Brisbane. And uh, the idea was that I would go there for 12 months and then come back as 2IC or, or manager, whichever, at, uh, at 4IP because 4IP was being purchased at that, st at that stage. And uh, I thought about it for a while and I went to visit Frank Moore in his office a couple of times. And the second time I said, yes, I'll come. And I'm glad I did because it was that stepping stone that led me on to the rest of what I consider to be a, a pretty happy career. What did you learn going to Longreach? You don't make uh, wholesale changes just for the sake of them. But that still happens today. Oh, wow. Wasn't that my uh, fall down? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I, I learnt that if, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, there was nothing wrong with 4LG. It was working quite well. Uh, I, I, I oversaw what was occurring... Uh, and I thought, no, nah, that's got to be changed, that's got to be changed. But it didn't need to be changed in most cases. And uh, I, I, I thank 4LG for teaching me that because I, uh, I know I would have hurt a couple of people by insisting that they change to suit me. Not so much to change to suit the, the business of broadcasting um, or the listeners, I mean, let's face it, the listeners are your bosses in the broadcasting business. It doesn't matter what your employer says. Your real boss is the guy milking a cow in a cow shed um, of a morning with the radio on. He's your boss. Because if he doesn't like what you're playing or what you're saying, he can just turn you off, 
um, or find another station and uh, you're left you're left with nothing and I guess um, that was that was the big the, the big lesson I learned if it ain't broke don't fix it uh, and it as an adjunct your real boss is the listener for IP so you moved from uh, from Longreach back to Brisbane yep how did that all happen I drove a car Good on you. <laughs> one like that. Actually, it's one like that. It's behind <laughs> not us. Not quite. <laughs> oh, it's there. Is it? Oh, okay. Hello. <laughs> uh, crikey. Um, well, that's the, during that year, that 12 months that I went to Longreach for, I shouldn't end a sentence like that, um, I, we got married. I got married to... Uh, uh, a woman who I'm just unusual these days. What happened was my wife and I came back to live in Ipswich because at that stage the newly acquired station for IP was still headquartered in Ipswich. So it was a really, I remember back in the day, uh, before it became or after, the fact that it was in Ipswich, it was sort of a poor cousin to some of the Brisbane stations. Is that a... F- would you would you subscribe to that? Well, up to a point, it, it was it was a relay station uh, for a time of four BK. Four uh, BK used to relay to uh, to four IP uh, various programs and what have you, and uh, but it was still a very independent radio station. And in fact, we ditched four BK soon after I arrived. What not? That wasn't my decision. Um, but it was probably the right decision, just the same. How did that affect you, going from Longreach to 4IP, where the notoriety must have started to have built? I wasn't specifically building uh, a personal profile. I was more interested in the radio station itself. We had a job to do. Our job was to make 4IP the best it possibly could be. And we were prepared, and we did, take on the, uh, on the big boys. The 4BHs, the 4BCs, 4BK, 4KQ. We took them on and we beat them. We we started the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the the battle, or the battle started to be won during an afternoon program, which was done on Saturday afternoons by David Greenwood. Uh, David Greenwood was a guy who worked at 4BH before he came to uh, to us for IP, and. Uh, he had a, a wonderful voice, still does. I still see him from time to time. And David was doing this afternoon, Saturday afternoon request. And you would see kids lined up in Brisbane, Ipswich and wherever at phone boxes, public phone boxes, because not everybody had a phone. We're, we're, we're talking 1963, four, five. And they were wanting to get through to our switch girl to get a record played on the air in David's program. Um, and that just happened. Why did it take off like that? Because the other stations were playing, uh, playing. they were running races and other sport. And kids of uh, 14, 15, 16 don't want that. They, they weren't interested in, in races, horse races. They were interested in music. And we gave it to them. Or well, David did, or well, the station did, the radio station. We, 
and David was the uh, the guy who uh, was 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 in the front line. What about yourself? What were you doing at that stage? I think I was doing uh, breakfast radio in those days, and it was not long after that that I gravitated to the Four IP newsroom when we started to build a newsroom of our own, rather than um, rely on news relayed from other places. Why news? I don't know. I guess it was because news is a is a thing that uh, the, the actual word itself says it. New. It's something that'll. Whenever you go to read it, read the, the the news, someone that's listening to you hasn't heard it before. M- maybe most people have, but they just want to know what's occurring. Are we at war yet? What's happening? Is there an earthquake? Has the sea engulfed Australia yet? You know, I know I'm talking rubbish, but uh, they want to know what's happening. Uh, and so do I. I want to know what's happening with the weather as well. And so do most people. And I wanted to tell them. And I figured that I could do that. So I, uh, I gravitated towards news. But that didn't mean that I didn't get a, lot, a, a bit of a kick out of playing music. So you were still doing music while you were doing news at 4IP? Yes, yes, doing both and uh, enjoying it. Just enjoying communicating with people. And, and, and getting, getting feedback, getting people saying, uh, ringing up and saying, oh, I heard you on the news this morning, or I heard you um, playing records. That, my gee, that one of Cliff Richards, terrific. Whatever. So you enjoyed the congratulations? I did, of course. There's a joke there. Cliff Richard. Okay. <laughs> you can have that. Thank you. Um, if you'd said summer holiday, I would have been there. Yeah, uh, good on you. But, okay, you've brought in the, uh, the the xylophone, and what was the story behind that? I don't know how these things ever started to become part of every radio studio in the world. Um, certainly in Australia. But you'd use them, if you're doing two live commercials, um, you'd, you'd say you'd finish off one, um, and you can get it now. They're available at all chemists and some bakeries. It's uh, three minutes past two at 4IP, and uh, here's so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, it would be uh, like a full stop at an exclamation mark. And uh, coming up to news, you bang the gongs. To IG, it's three minutes past two. We're three minutes late with the news. <laughs> it would. It was. It was a. Uh, it was a device to introduce something, whatever it may be. Just one dong like that might might be a breaking point between two live commercials, um, or two live voiceovers, if you want to use that. Every station had them. They weren't called the xylophone. They were. Called, they are a musical instrument. But they were just simply called the gongs, and uh, I bought the, these. These are the. Uh, there were two sets of gongs that I bought for two RG. No, 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 for four IP. Two sets of gongs, and this is one of those. When gongs went out of vogue, uh, these went to me because I bought them. So you've also brought the uh, the old four IP jacket in. Well, this yeah. This is a, uh, 
an interesting jacket. Um, this was what the 4IP sound guys, we didn't call ourselves good guys in those days, but this is what the 4IP sound guys had to wear. We didn't particularly desire to do this, but we were told by our bosses uh, to wear these when we were um, out and about doing outside broadcasts and um, at the Brisbane Exhibition. In fact, it was the Brisbane Exhibition of about 1964, three, not sure, um, that we all had to wear these. And uh, they were all red, and just like this, a little pocket on the side. And this little guy was the court jester. He was called the Hippie Ippy, the Hippie Ippy, I-P, Hippie. And uh, we were so self-conscious, us broadcasters, us good guys, or sound guys as we were called then, um, that if we, if we wanted to go outside the building, we still had to wear them. If we had wanted to go outside the, the building at the exhibition where we were, we'd, <laughs> we'd, one would say to the other, I want to go to the loo. Do you want to accompany me down the, uh, down the way? Because we didn't like to go out on our own. We felt so, so damn self-conscious. What was the reaction to them? Oh, most people liked them. Um, and there were other colours. There were blue ones and eventually uh, uh, gold-coloured ones. Uh, at one stage, we were dressed all in white, um, white suits and then gold suits. I haven't got mine, I don't know what happened to those. But I, I do have this, this jacket, which doesn't fit me, it fits somebody else. But I thought, no, it's not going to go to the rubbish. We'll save that. I uh, do remember the gold jacket. I have seen it. Well, it's still at my place, and it still fits. <laughs> and so does the blue one. Um, this one would, if it were mine, but it's not. With 4IP, you were... An all-rounder still, so where did you move to from there? From 4IP... Um, How long did that last for? Oh, about 17 years. Wow. 17, 18, something like that. What was the highlight or highlights? Oh, the 1974 flood, unquestionably. 4IP ran the 1974 flood. I can say that without any shadow of a doubt. The other stations were there. Uh, I can even remember the ABC at uh, Tawong. They got partially flooded. Uh, and they were going on like uh, saying things like, oh, look, there's water coming in the, uh, in the studio. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? You're going to be drowned in about 10 minutes. Get out of the joint. What did uh, 4IP in those days in the 74 floods... What did they do better than everybody else? We had um, just about everybody who could drive a car driving one of the, the uh, 4IP um, uh, radio cars, uh, two-way radio hook-up things. And we were, on the, we, we were just on the streets everywhere, uh, finding out from key people, from emergency service personnel, uh, what was happening, where the flood was worse, uh, what recommendations there were, what what to tell people about uh, their f immediate future, where the water was going to be, and uh, that sort of thing. 
there was a classic piece of uh, broadcasting, a fellow called Ray McGregor. Um, Ray and there's, was, there's a name from the past, a great voice. Another guy with a fantastic voice, yeah. Ray McGregor. I remember he used to wear around a uh, T-shirt that... Uh, uh, was it Alan McGurvin? Uh, Alan McGurvin wears, or Mickey Mouse wears an Alan McGurvin watch. Oh, it was yeah, that was Alan. <laughs> no, <laughs> Sorry, he, he's, Ray st- he's still around, and he's got a fantastic <laughs> voice, absolutely fantastic. Mind you, it's not not essential to have a fantastic voice in the broadcasting business, but it helps. But it helps, and when you get deaf, like I am. Um, it's a good voice coming out of the radio that you can understand better than a high-pitched journalist, Sheila from uh, what woman? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd use that. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do with this. The uh, yeah, it's a, a good voice will 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 a good uh, a voice with a bit of depth, bit of clarity, uh, or certainly clarity. Or you can, you can get good voices that mumble. We're talking about this. What the hell are you talking about? Ah, it's um, the best you've ever sounded. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'll keep, but not for long. The uh, yeah, back to the voice business. A good voice is not essential. The key to it is the brain. What am I going to do with this voice? What am I, how am I going to use it? That's the key to it. So a good voice isn't essential. It's what you do with it. Where do you fit in in Brisbane Radio? Where do I fit in? Yeah, what what are your highlights? Oh, heck, I don't think I've got any. <laughs> Look, um, somebody must have thought I did have. The day I retired, the Br- Brisbane Lord Mayor rang up. Quite a few people rang up. and uh, Well, that was where you'd done the 49 years in radio. Yes, yes. I had... I had just completed 49 years that month. And he, uh, the Lord Mayor rang up and said uh, something along the lines of, John, it's uh, a pleasure to be with you on the radio this morning. Who was um, the Brisbane Lord Mayor at the time? Um, Campbell Newman, it was. Mm. Uh, he said, I appreciate the um, things you've done in the broadcasting business in this city, and uh, I think the city is uh, better for you having been part of it. And I would like to wish you well for the future. And within the next month, I would like to present you with the keys of the city. Must have been a big honour. Oh, it knocked me. I couldn't speak. I thought, why is somebody giving me the key of the city? What have I done? I've just done my job. You're a name that's synonymous, though, with Brisbane Radio. With some people, yes. Um, But let's face it, there are people who would never have heard me on radio. People who listen to the ABC exclusively... Fine. They would never have heard of John Knox. They may have heard my voice because I did do some stuff on for, on uh, the ABC. Not much. You got into commercial production as well fairly heavily. What got you into that and how did that uh, sustain you over your career? The uh, In those days, it was a fairly well-paid thing. You'd do a commercial. Well, the, the very first commercial I did was for Tristram's. I think, yeah, from a Brisbane point of view, the, rinks, the drinks with the ring-a-ding flavour. <clears throat> that was a voiceover job on television. And uh, it went from there. I think I got four pounds for that. Um, that eventually became up as high as 400 pounds uh, for some people in the broadcasting business. 
I don't think I ever got paid that much. But um, I enjoyed, again, I enjoyed interpreting somebody's ideas and conveying their message through the microphone and through whatever's in here to a, a potential listener, a potential customer. You did a lot of TV commercials. Yes. And a lot of voiceovers for TV. Why didn't you move into TV? You did so much in radio. Was TV on the spectrum for you? Uh, not really. Well, yes and no. Uh, I mean, Val, my wife, uh, she was one of the first... She was the second person hired by Channel 9. She was the second person on their staff. And she was only there for two or three years and... Uh, and she moved to Longreach as the boss's secretary, um, and the rest is history, as they say. But uh, I was kind of interested in uh, television. I put it on a pedestal, though. I have a habit of doing that sort of thing, which I should never have done. Uh, it's just another medium. Um, it was the coming thing, though, and I thought, am I up to this? I don't know. I don't think so. I'll stay with radio. It was It was self self-doubt I guess but I did have a crack at it at one stage um, I did a news a news um, audition but unfortunately I was so damn nervous that I, I developed a tick in the eye you know the, the eye had moved um, and it just looked off-putting and I couldn't do anything about that and I think that was what stopped me from uh, pursuing it any further just the nerves yeah, I guess uh, I think I could do the job. In fact, I'm sure I could do the job, but uh, I didn't. What do you like to listen to, though, in general in radio these days? What's the thing that uh, you get the most of, most enjoyment out of? If I'm sitting up the backyard throwing the ball to my dogs, and I, I'm a dog person, I love dogs, I've got the radio going, I want to listen to music, that's all. I don't want to listen to... Unless there's a, a major news story on, I'll, I'll tune on to uh, um, a station that's, that's producing that sort of uh, information. What sort of music do you listen to? You've listened to music all your life. You've played music all your life. What do you, you what do you listen to? Something that's easy. I don't. I'm, I was never a, a great rock and roll fan, although I I do admire people like the Bee Gees, the Beatles, um, and others. Because that's what you were playing back in the 4IP days. Yes, that doesn't say I was enjoying it, though. Um, <laughs> I enjoy something that's easy to listen to. If you put a Tommy Dorsey record in front of me, I'd play that ahead of anything else, um, or possibly Glenn Miller and um, big bands. The music of the, the, the 40s and early 50s, Nat King Cole, um, Perry Como, that sort of, you probably haven't even heard of Arvalese yourself. Um, but they're easy listening music, uh, ballads, that sort of thing. 17 years at 4IP playing music that you didn't always like. Why did you leave? Because 4IP was eventually sold by uh, uh, those wonderful bosses that I still admire to uh, 2SM in Sydney and 2SM sent a bloke up here to run the joint and he 
have the attitude that I had when I first went to 4LG. Let's change this and fix it. Wasn't broke. You don't lift up the bonnet of the car and fix it if it's working. And that there was nothing wrong with 4IP at the time, but this guy thought that he could make himself a name by turning 4IP into a Sydney station. That's the basic way I... That's, that's what I perceive, anyway. That's how I, I read it. So what happened then? Well, we lost audience. He, he, uh, what goes in Brisbane doesn't necessarily go in Sydney, and what goes in Sydney not always goes in Brisbane, or Queensland in general. Um, but this, uh, this guy didn't see it that way at all. Uh, his attitude was, without admitting it, I grew up in Sydney, this is what Sydney's doing, this is what everybody should be doing. What was the difference then between Sydney Radio and Brisbane Radio in those days? Oh, just a difference in, uh, in music. Some, mu- some music that, some music that uh, would take off in Sydney would not necessarily take off in Brisbane for a variety of reasons. I can't give you any one of them, but um, uh, it didn't, it just, that's how it was. So after 4IP, you moved on to 4BK at that stage? Yes, I did. Uh, that was basically to escape from, uh, from what I saw as a sinking ship. Um, you don't stay on a sinking ship until you're suffocating, drowning. And it just, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a heartbreak thing. I, the, the the staff who would who were at four IP in the in the days where we were making waves where we were taking over the Brisbane radio market th- those guys had done their job and now all that wonderful work was being thrown out the door by these people from Sydney. So you went on to four BK and that was really uh... it was all news. Another, but it was being in the right place at the right time again. Oh yeah, I guess so. 4BK though was then became a, with Wayne Roberts at the helm doing breakfast was uh, one of the headline stations. Oh yes, and uh, you mentioned the name Wayne Roberts. You've got to attack, attach another name there, John Miller. Uh, both those guys, John Miller was the head of the newsroom uh, when I went to work for him. Those two people had such great ability, tremendous brains, tremendous quick-fire uh, thinking. Or well, was John Andy's brother, Mark. And Mark, of course. Hmm. Um, and they, they did things on 4BK breakfast that just wouldn't happen today. <laughs> um, How did they get away with it? Well, they just did. Um, I can recall one particular time when... Um, Wayne Roberts was talking to uh, to people uh, driving in on the South East Freeway and he was saying things like uh, now what, what, what we've done we can see you as you're driving in uh, we've got cameras uh, lined up because we like to see our audience we like to know who we're talking to and uh, I can see a bloke in a, don't do that uh, and everyone would know that the black was either picking his nose or scratching himself inappropriately or or what um he, he was like he he 
the, the Australian cricketers were staying at uh, a particular pub, a hotel in Brisbane. And he rang up to speak to one uh, one of the players, I forget who, but he wasn't available. And um, he said, well, um, can you put me through to Kim Hughes? And uh, I'll try. And Kim Hughes answered the phone. And Kim Hughes swore rather violently when John Miller, who was also in on this particular thing, said things to him like... Uh, he, he was putting on a silly voice. He'd, he'd, said, he'd say, uh, uh, oh, Mitchell Hughes. Um, and you couldn't do that in those days because you're having a crack at a particular line of people. Um, Mr Hughes, uh, it, it, a very difficult game, cricket. Um, does your mother mind you playing cricket? I mean, you might get hurt. And Kim Hughes thought, why the hell is this idiot? And he, and he said, so who the is this? And uh, he dropped the magic word and uh, he was then banned for uh, um, uh, three days. As it turned out, it was only the, it was Friday, so he was banned for the rest of Friday, <laughs> Saturday and Sunday, he's back on Monday, so it didn't matter. But um, they used to do these things. Um, McGurvin did another thing, on whether it was 4IP or uh, or 4BK, he was, he, he was on both at various times. He had this, he'd bring up people, uh, they were called gotcha, gotcha calls. And he rang this bloke who had just got a new car, which was the pride of his life. And he, uh, he made out that he was the chief mechanic at this place. He rang up and he said, oh, is that, uh, is that Dave Smith? Oh yeah, this is Dave Smith. Dave, uh, You've got your car in with us for uh, for a service, and uh, is your car insured? Uh, yes, it's insured, of course. Why, why do you ask? He said, "Well, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to put this, Dave, but your car's fallen off the bloody hoist." And the fellow said, "It's what?" And he he was you know all over you know very upset. <laughs> McGurvin said, it's all right, Dave, this is Alan McGurvin. And he played a little bit of music to indicate that he'd been gotched. Um, and he'd do things like that. And they were all fun. Has the fun gone out of radio? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Why is that? Oh, because of current society, I think. Current thinking, current... Pe- I don't know. I don't... I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. With radio where it's going these days, do you think radio will die out? Sometimes I think it will. Yeah, I, I just hope it doesn't die out. Because when you were working at places like Forby Kane, you're talking about the pranks and the vibe. How was the vibe to work at those stations when they were really just on fire? It was fantastic. You, you, you didn't go to work. You went to a place called 4IP... Um, where things were happening, and you were part of that. You meaning anybody who was working there. Uh, there are still people who worked at 4IP who meet regularly um, in Brisbane and uh, share a few jokes, tell a few lies. What's um, the vibe like working at those places? 
when they are really on fire and and you're rating and well, it's, everything. it's just a, it's an experience it's a a great feeling of achievement well we we enjoyed it so much that we didn't want to get paid for doing things after hours it does help well it's a fact yeah. um almost one of the big things that made for ip was the fact that if there was a bun fight anywhere, a school fight, even a church fight, and they wanted 4IP to be there, we'd be there. I can remember one particular weekend, we did about 14 different fights or uh, or functions at, uh, at outside organisations. We were there. We didn't, we weren't the highlight, um, but we certainly were, the, there was a fair bit of focus on us. They'd see 4IP everywhere. We had Sunday fun days, we had, uh, and that was a regular feature. We had, uh, we did concerts um, with the top bands of the day. You were talking a little uh, a little earlier about uh, when you did retire, you were working at uh, 4KQ. Mm. That was a halcyon time as well, when you were working there, you seemed to have just had the Midas touch when it comes to picking radio stations? Well, almost. The uh, 4KQ, 4IP and 4KQ were the best radio stations I've ever worked for, uh, the most enjoyable stations I've ever worked for, the best bosses I've ever worked for. The the 4KQ experience was uh, one that I was sad to say goodbye to, I was sad to say goodbye to radio in general, but um, uh, KQ was terrific. It really was. was Marvellous people there. With um, the evolution of radio, you started off, of course, in AM to RG. Mm. FM evolved during your time in radio. Why didn't you look at the FM dial and move into that sphere? I did have an experience with FM. The... Um, An experience. For, yeah. <laughs> for BK became B105. And all the staff became B105 employees, including me. The thing that I found rather strange, the news director who came in over the top of me at... Um, at B105, told me uh, we're moving to FM next week. Yes, I know that. Um, You'll find that you'll have to form your words differently and um, watch your breathing on uh, FM because it's clearer than AM. Up to a point he was right, but basically it's a lot of rubbish. I mean, you're talking into a microphone and something's coming out the other end. If it's good quality, if it's better quality than previously, so 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 be it. You can hear the flaws better. (laughs) You can hear the flaws better. You can hear tapping on the desk better. (laughs) And mouth noises, for instance. Did you stay there long or is that was one of the reasons? No, I I got the sack. Um, They brought a bloke up from Sydney who was there to prove himself. And uh, his first impression of me 
was a guy who was pretty much older than everybody else. I mean, I might have been about 50 then. Um, oh, real old. Um, walking down the uh, the passage at, at, uh, at uh, B105 with a cup of coffee in my hand. That was his first impression of me. That impression stayed every time he heard me read the news. That guy's too old for us. No, he could have gone. And uh, so but he got rid of me. Um, straight after that, when I was immediately available for somebody else to employ, I got a phone call from uh, <laughs> from uh, CFM on the Gold Coast, and I worked there for uh, as a as a spare tyre for uh, a couple of years. Then I got a call from um, Bob Gallagher at uh, 4KQ, and he asked me if I'd come and leave that station and come and work for him, which I did, and I enjoyed it. The media merry-go-round where people do move, it's a little different these days to what it was like back when you were first in radio and for a long time. You get sacked these days from a station. You get sacked for essentially from 50. What was it like for you moving around? Was there job security? Did you always feel secure in your job? No. Do you uh, want to think about that for two or three seconds? <laughs> Well, at, look at the at the time I was uh, wherever I was working, I was always thinking, uh, w- what I do here, the, the the length of time I'm going to keep this job, is entirely up to me. However, if they don't like what I'm doing, they'll get rid of me. So I've got to try to work out exactly what it is that uh, that they want, and I found that difficult. I don't mean it might. It, it might sound completely ridiculous and simple, but I found that to be a very big challenge. Was that a, an ego thing that uh, that you just didn't have that uh, presence, or you didn't feel enough presence to because you you were always well respected where you were? Yeah, I don't know what it was, Mark. I uh, I was just conscious of the fact that I did not want to be unemployed. Um, I had a family of four kids. Um, a wife and four kids, sort of thing, to 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 shepherd through life, and uh, I could not afford to be out of work, and I was scared um, that somebody like this goose from Sydney who came up and fired me at uh, B105 um, would happen again. So I, it was always there, the the, the thought. Uh, there, there's the thing about. Um, that radio people have never go on holidays in radio because you've come back and your job's gone. I think that's media in general, isn't it? Oh, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> well, it is. It is. Yeah, it's it's media in general. Happens on television. You did a lot of commercial work over your time. You've been awarded for that. How important is the award structure in the whole gamut of what you've done over the years? Oh, it's not important at all. The recognition is good, though. Oh, it's nice if somebody says, yes, you've done a good job. And if you get an award which says basically that, it's nice to receive. Of course it is. Because that Goldie Award that you got many years ago. Or some people have got dozens of Goldie Awards. <laughs> um, um, that was yeah, that was for the best, the best voice in Brisbane Radio at the time. Yeah, thanks for that. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, 
it uh, yeah it meant a lot to me at the time um, and I suppose if in as time has gone by I can uh, look at that well, I don't know where it is at the moment oh, yes I do and uh, and say yes uh, I did work hard at that uh, I tried hard to um, achieve the best possible result for the uh, people who were paying the money to get me to advertise their product and that is what it's all about that is what the the uh, that's where the enjoyment is I think the satisfaction uh, just the same as if you're working as an announcer for a radio station and uh, a particular advertiser is using your program to push his uh, his goods and services and you go to that uh, you go there with the sales guy to uh, to meet him and you understand his business what he's doing uh, and you can convey that uh, through the microphone and the speaker at the other end and get some results for him that's satisfaction if you can if you can by using your voice and your brain both together hopefully um, <laughs> explain that uh, blogs's timber yard has got the timber that you're going to you're going to want for a particular job even if you don't think that they have go and have a look because the chances are they've got it and if they haven't got it they'll get it for you you talk about uh, a great voice you don't need one no what about people that don't have such a great voice what would you say to them if you are interested in getting into the broadcasting business pursue that goal right to the nth degree and get to get in touch with somebody who's either in the business or has been in the business and get that person to um, assist you because you've taught a lot of people over the years you had air tv which was queensland's premier radio school at the time yes it was and uh, it was started by Jim Eiloff, who was the very first children's television presenter uh, in, in Queensland on Channel 9. Jim started this with a guy called Ivor Hancock, who was a... <laughs> a, a, a <laughs> How the hell are you going to get rid of that? <laughs> You better cut it straight back to me. <laughs> you stop laughing and I'll get on with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, buggy. <laughs> oh, too much. Ivor was a member of the broadcasting fraternity and uh, was with uh, Jim in AirTV, which was originally the Brisbane School of Broadcasting. And when he retired... Uh, Jim asked me if I'd like to join his organisation and I said I'll give it a go and uh, so we did. Uh, we didn't make much money, in <laughs> fact we, we hardly made any money because we did, weren't charging enough, and nowhere near enough for what they're charging these days in places down south. But um, we did put a lot of people on the air. Um, I could go through the names if I had a list, <laughs> but I haven't. I can think of a few off the top of my head. Well, there's but, a couple of big names in Brisbane at the moment. That, oh, uh, well. 
Um, Andrew Lofthouse. Andrew Lofthouse. Andrew was one of ours. Um, he showed promise right from the word go. A very, uh, um, a very quiet guy. Uh, Shelley Lloyd, who was a newsreader at the ABC until only recently. Um, Steve. Oh, I can't think of his name. It's terrible. Don't that. <laughs> he he he's also on the ABC. Steve. He's an interviewer. Very good. Steve on the ABC. He's also a very good. He says big things about you too, John. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad of that. I'm glad. Um, however, um, we'll let that pass. We'll have to because I can't find his, find his name. But there have been a lot of names. I just I guess it's the, the brain's getting too old and we can't access the filing cabinets anymore. But it's great to have uh, got so many people to start in the media. It must be something that you can really hang your shingle on these days. Oh, possibly. I, I, I don't think about it much at all. I just, um, if I hear anybody who I know that I've uh, uh, been instrumental in assisting on the on their on their journey, I feel pretty good. Um, yeah, I helped that guy, or he was one of my students. Um, yeah, that 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 gives me a little bit of satisfaction. Because um, I remember as a. Uh you know, just fresh out of school. Actually, I think I did this, the course when I was actually in school. I think you did, yes. And went straight out to 4LG in Longreach. And I remember the just the atmosphere that it portrayed and it didn't let me down. No. The atmosphere that is in media is, and radio and television, it's just, a, it's something else. It's got something, isn't it? Mm. It's a bit, a bit hard to define, but it's it's just there. So much so, uh, I don't know how many people who um, work in a timber yard would go back after their shift and hang around. Uh, whereas in the broadcasting business, especially when you're new, um, I know in, in my own case, I'd go back into the studios at 2RG at Griffith uh, and at 4LG, and at 4BH, and <laughs> just about <laughs> everywhere, and and be there, even though I wasn't necessarily required to be there, just to cop the atmosphere, just to be part of the scene, to 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 be there, and uh, you'd find a whole lot of other people who were of the same mind, who aren't weren't weren't, weren't rostered to be there, but were there anyway, and that I think that's still happens today I don't know if it doesn't I'm sorry for the people does it worry you though that a lot of radio jobs are now syndicated and they're going by the wayside news is syndicated radio stations are syndicated what do you think when you look at that I'm horrified by it I don't want to know what's happening in Sydney if I live in Longreach I want to know what's happening at the commercial hotel in Longreach or at Strathdar Station, or Bexley, or anywhere in the area, the Wellshot Creek, the Wellshot Hotel, all these, I, that's what I want to know about. Because I live in Longridge. I don't live at Petersham in Sydney. Radio is local. That's how it should be. It's not now, though. It is, 
some of the community-based stations and other community stations, they, they, are, or they have the opportunity of capitalising on this need for uh, localness, if you like. I don't know what the right word is, but it's not localness. That's what it means, though. Um, they have that opportunity. But they need guidance. Oh, brother, do they need guidance. <laughs> <laughs> um, Away from radio, you're an avid aviator. Yes. What got you into that in the first place? Oh, just a desire to fly. I, you know, I always wanted to fly, and I had the opportunity. I started learning to fly in 1956 in Tiger Moths, when uh, when my family, my mum, dad, and myself, were in Melbourne. And I went out to Moorabbin and I started flying tiger moths, scared stiff. Um, but I wanted to do it. And I finished after about six hours. I, circumstances didn't allow me to continue. And it wasn't until about 1973 at Archerfield that I was able to get back into the driver's seat and uh, learn to fly. Different aeroplane altogether. Although subsequently I did end up getting my... Uh, endorsement on a tiger moth at uh, Caboolture. Um No, I just love flying. Because you may not have, if circumstances had been different, you nearly didn't, you nearly pursued a military career. Very close. You know too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's go back to basics, if, if you'd like to do that. I, I fancied myself as a, a fleet air arm pilot. I'm a bit horrified to think about that now. Um, but back in the day, as it were, um, were they flying Sea Furies and uh, um, Fireflies um, off the Melbourne and the Sydney? And I wanted to be part of that in the driver's seat. But I was about 16, maybe 15, 15, 15 or 16, I decided that all those people who said that you shouldn't look at the eclipse of the sun, what would they know? Because they're just old people. <laughs> Wouldn't have a clue. So I covered up my left eye and looked at the eclipse of the sun this particular day. And I said, oh, yeah, there is a big bite out of the sun. Little did I know, it was also taking a bite out of my right eye. And the next day at school... There was a line on the board, and I'm looking at it, and I thought, looks a bit fuzzy where I'm looking. So I covered up this eye again, and right where my point of vision was, there was nothing. I immediately decided I had blown my chance to be uh, a pilot in the Air Force, or anything else, or the uh, fleet air arm. And uh, I decided that. I shouldn't have done that. I should have got an application an optometrist to decide that if it was going to be decided because subsequently I found out that uh, it did heal itself a little bit um, such that I could get myself a licence. Do you wish you'd done that? That you'd gone for the military side of things? Oh, it's hard to sort of say that. I'm, I'm reasonably satisfied with the, um, the life that I've lived in the environment I've lived. Um, I've often thought, how would it have been if I'd uh, either gone to Portsea, which I nearly did, um, officer cadet school, 
or uh, or pursued the uh, fleet air arm naval career. Uh, but it's it's hard it's hard to it's hard to look down that that time tunnel in reverse because your father wanted you to follow in his footsteps. Oh, he right or wrong? He, I was an only only child, and uh, I mean you. If you've only got one child, you put all your hopes and dreams and thoughts and everything into that child. You haven't got three or four to sort of say, oh, well, he might make it, he might, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> being a little bit cruel and unrealistic. <laughs> but um, he, right or wrong, wanted me to go to Portsea and uh, become a, an officer in the Army. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I was selected to go. At the same time, I decided I wanted to get into the broadcasting business become a radio announcer and I got home this particular day and said dad I'm not going to worry about the uh, career in the uh, the army um, I don't know whether I'm going to be selected or not and he just said I happen to know you have been selected and I said well I'm going to become a radio announcer and he said yeah what and I said I'm going to become a radio announcer that's what I want to do all everything up until that point of time had been following what he wanted. Everything that Dad wanted me to do, I did. Uh, right from competitive swimming through to, well, anything. And uh, he, he was horrified. I mean, uh, what's, what's a blasted radio announcer? You can, you want to become one of those? And I said, yes. And he sort of threw, threw up his hands in horror and he had to withdraw my application for ports. He, which must have hurt him immensely. Um, Did he come to terms with it over time, seeing the way you went and what you achieved? Yes. Yes, he did. When that, was the time that he went, when you realised that he was at peace with your decision? Oh, it's a hard one to say. I, I don't know. He, I, I guess... When I found out that they were still living, Mum and Dad were still living in Melbourne at the time when I was at 2RG. And uh, when I, this is in retrospect, when I realised now and realised then that he'd been in touch with some of the uh, uh, radio people in the army and worked out how he could be able to listen to me uh, on, a, on a home radio set coming all the way from 2RG at Griffith. Whoever it was in, uh, in the radio field uh, in the army that Ted was talking to told him how to rig up a, uh, uh, a special kind of aerial. I think it was a, a dipole. And uh, he could pick up 2RG pretty well at night if he did that and had it in the right angle and all this sort of thing. And I thought, well, if he's going to that sort of trouble then uh, he must be fairly much at peace with uh, what I've decided to do with my life. Does it put a lot of pressure, or did it put a lot of pressure, as a high flyer and a real achiever in Brisbane Radio, as you were? What about your kids then? How did they live up to the John Knox persona as such? That's a question I don't know how to answer. You really have to ask uh, them individually. I know when I got sacked from B105 for being too old, uh, 
my daughter Ruth was getting married around about that time, and one of her bridesmaid, one of her bridesmaids, was introduced to or introduced somebody else to Ruth, a friend of hers, um, also around about twenty years old or however old she was, and she said, "This is a." a uh, Ruth Knox, her father's John Knox on the radio, and that child, child, nineteen-year-old kid, said, "Gee, is he as sexy in life as he sounds on the radio?" And I thought, <laughs> "Okay, that that says it all. This idiot that fired me from B105 doesn't have a clue any about radio, because it's the sound that you hear, not what you see." What's the highlight, apart from the 74 floods when you were covering that, do you have a highlight that you're constantly, or are there highlights that you think about that you go, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun, or they were things that I really achieved? Oh, uh, look, it's hard to say. The people I've interviewed over the years, um, people I've met over the years, uh, prime ministers, um, pop star, people like Jimmy Stewart, for instance, he was always a... Uh, a favourite of mine as a, a movie star. He also flew, um, flew B-17s, I think it was B-17s or B-24s during the war over Germany and continental Europe in general. Um, and when I interviewed him, I interviewed him by phone and he, uh, I asked him that particular day, I said, look, uh, uh, after this interview is over and the program is finished, I'm going out to Archerfield to do a little bit of flying. I've got a Bonanza all ready to fly. Uh, would you like to uh, come along? Because I knew he owned one. And he said, well, I, I, I can't take his voice off. Nobody can do it properly. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I've got things I've got to do today, John. Um, but I sure would like uh, flying with you in a Bonanza, a wonderful airplane. Um, but he to talk to him and uh, relate to him um, uh, following all the movies I'd sent him in was special Cliff Richard was good to talk to there's so many of them I can't find him in the filing system um, I met the Queen once and uh, enjoyed that experience how was that talk us through that one well it's not much to talk through really uh, we I was asked where was I at the time I was working at KQ I think and the uh, the Queen and the Duke were here on uh, a particular uh, exercise uh, visit and I got a phone call from the Premier's press secretary, John would you like to join us in, in a reception for the Queen at the, this particular hotel in Brisbane uh, next um, Wednesday afternoon? Yes, of course. And uh, it was just a case of what to do and what not to do in the royal presence and um, when you shake her hand you don't squeeze it to death not that I do anyway um, and yeah it was it was, it was, it was an honour to, to meet the Queen and uh, to talk to uh, the Duke of Edinburgh who was the Duke of Edinburgh <laughs> he was he was just as he always is uh, much maligned but uh, um, Undeservedly so. Is it something that uh, you'd like to pass on with all the experience that you have 
would you still like to be doing that to be sharing the the knowledge that you've got is it something that uh, looking at a bloke 80, 82 and a half years old I wish you wouldn't use the word pass on um, it does cause <laughs> me a little bit of concern uh, my blood pressure is about normal but uh, uh, I think it might have gone through the roof now now look uh, yeah I'd love to pass it on to other people if they want to learn but who wants to learn from an old fuddy duddy I think a lot of people, and it's been an absolute pleasure, and it's been a magnificent career. And I really, well, for the person that got me into the media in the first place, that'd be a good or a bad thing. Um, but I do appreciate you sharing some time over the bonnet. John Knox, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Mark. This podcast is brought to you by Mary Mark Medical. Mary Mark Medical is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care. Are you always sick? Ranging from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions. When you need to get better, even if you have complex health problems, get the right diagnosis with Merrimark Medical. Contact Merrimark Medical in Gympie on 54811873 or find them at 18 Young Street. The podcast is also brought to you by Gympie Foam and Rubber your local store that specialises in foam cup to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery and craft foam, even loose spinning foam. The shop is packed with things like mattresses and pillows. Ah, not so squeezy. Now, they'll help you get down and dirty and save your feet with rubber flooring and mats, anti-fatigue matting, and they have industrial mats and rubber. If they don't have it, Andrew will get it in for you. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount and you'll receive 10% off the price. That's right, 10%. Only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show and you have to ask for your discount. That's at Gimpy Foam and Rubber. And finally, the show is brought to you by NICAD Earth Moving that specialises in roadworks, house pads, site cleanups, land clearing, dam construction, even dewatering and swamp drainage. I didn't even know you could do that. They have a 140H grader which is big and their Positrack Bobcat is also huge. There's a D65 dozer, three excavators for hire, including a 20-ton, 8-ton and a 2.5-ton. Plus, they provide side truck hire and even have a roller and a water truck. So contact Carl Dakin at NICAD Earth Moving on 0488 228806 and the earth will move for you.